please have your Bible open. We are in Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to do the second half of chapter 10 and the first verse of chapter 11. While you're working your way there, I'm going to go through some slides and I'm going to recap on what we've been having a look at. We know that for chapter 8 and chapter 9, and now into chapter 10, Paul has been talking about meat offered to idols. And that's the conversation that he's going to round off this morning. We know that when the scriptures were first given, that there were no chapter and verse distinctions. They've been added later for the benefit of us who are going to be trying to study them. And sometimes when we just look at sort of tiny little pieces and we don't look at the big context, we can end up literally reading things out of their context. Uh, and sometimes that brings our own interpretation to what the original author meant that actually they didn't mean. So it's really, really cool that we are going to be having a look at things in context. Last week we talked about, um, first of all, about how flammable my pants were, and then we moved on to having a look in at chapter 10, uh, at Paul talking about these examples from Israel's history of where they thought they were actually okay, but they weren't actually okay that they thought that they were they were doing really, really well with God, but actually there was stuff that had started going on which was not acceptable to God. And Paul asks the Corinthian church to reflect on their example, uh, particularly as it comes to the temptation to, to start bringing practices uh, and behaviors um, into their relationship with God which are not supposed to be there. We remember the ones that he talked about, um, was first of all idolatry and then sexual immorality um, uh, and then testing God and then uh, grumbling. And so we sat with that thought about going, okay, are these things that I'm actually tempted to do but the Lord has given me a way out of? And we had a look particularly at verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. It is actually commonplace to be tempted to sin. But God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. When we're tempted, he provides a way out so that we can endure it. And Paul goes straight on into the section that we're reading this morning. Okay, therefore, and why is it highlighted in yellow? Someone who's been around church for a while, tell me what a therefore is there for. Find out what it's there for. So therefore means go back and read everything before the therefore just to make sure that you know what the therefore is there for which is why we recap. Therefore, on the basis of everything that Paul has just said about the temptation to sin and God giving a way out, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry, which is the worship of idols. Remember, this is still in the context of Paul talking about eating meat that's been offered to an idol. Um, Sorry, we will actually get to reading the scripture. But let me just preempt some structure. Paul is about to give two really clear reasons to not eat meat offered to an idol. And then Paul is going to say, eat whatever. Okay, so he's going to give two really strong, good, healthy reasons to not eat meat offered to an idol. And then he's actually going to say, sit down and eat. Sit down and eat whatever. Someone made the comment to me this morning, I think it was Joyce, that Corinthians is difficult to read sometimes. And this is one of those things this morning that we're going to just wrestle with a little bit to get our head around. Verse 14, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. 
Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to be participants with demons. We're going to talk about the colored text when we come back. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. But what is my freedom being judged for? Why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something that I thank God for? So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I know some of the verses in that you will have heard before in isolation. But this is where they come from. This is the, the overarching conversation that they anchor back into. Let's talk about some colored words, because this is going to be useful for us. Paul here is talking about two different things. He's talking about sharing in something, something physical that people get hold of. That's why here he's talking about the, um, the thanksgiving, the, the blood of Christ, as well as the bread um, and the loaf. Now, it's interesting. What is the model Paul gives here for communion? One piece of bread. We don't do this as a church. I know it freaks people out sometimes. Have you ever been somewhere where people are not used to having a piece of bread that they go up and they rip something off? Sometimes it can really, really spook people to go, oh, look, cool, here's a piece of bread, and we're going to come forward and we're going to rip a piece off. If that's not the way we're used to doing it, sometimes it can be really confronting. But here it is in Scripture that for Paul, he uses this as the norm. Interesting. Anyway, get that for free this morning. Paul here uses two different words, and I will mispronounce them. So the first one that he uses in the original language is koinonia. And the word koinonia, some of us will have heard before, and often it's translated as fellowship. Whenever we see Paul use the word koinonia in the New Testament, and it's worth, there are so many free little apps you can put on your phone or, or on a computer to sift through and go, what's, what's the original word behind this? Because they're all translated here as participation. But koinonia literally means partnership. It is a, a strategic connection. So when Paul writes to the churches and he says, you are in koinonia with me for the sake of the gospel, there is a strategic partnership in place. And Paul here is saying, verse 16, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a koinonia, a koinonia in the blood of Christ. It is a it's not just a participation. There is something deliberately strategic. It is a partnership. 
in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a partnership in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are all one body, for we all share, meteko, the one loaf. So he's talking that there's something physical we engage with, but what that symbolizes is actually there is a spiritual partnership in place. And Paul is talking to Corinthians who have been eating meat offered to idols. So this is his big argument, number one, to flee from idolatry. After everything he's just talked about, um, about the examples from Israel's history, that they had started engaging with practices that led them away from God. Here he is saying, actually, if you keep this practice of meteko, if you keep this practice of, of going and of sharing in this, this food, this meat that's been offered to something else, what it really, really strongly suggests is that there is a spiritual partnership that you are putting in place. Paul's big argument, number one, is that this, this sharing of the food actually looks like koinonia. It looks like a strategic partnership. This is what he sketches out from verse 19 onward. Do I mean then that food sacrifice to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No. He's saying, look, we, we get that idols aren't powerful. We get that there is only one God. He's not suggesting any of that. But he's saying the sacrifices of pagans, verse 20, are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be koinonia with demons. I do not want you to end up in a strategic partnership relationship with demons. And that that's where eating the food could actually eventuate. And here, verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part or a share in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Paul says here, you cannot, but this is what they were doing. So when Paul here says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too, this is what he's saying the people in the Corinthian church are are doing in that moment. So this is not about him going, it is a physical impossibility. He's saying, this can't continue. This can't be something that keeps going on. And this is one thing that we're going to come to as one of our conclusions for this morning is this is Paul's big point number one, is there there are physical, tangible, earthly things that we can connect into or have a share in that actually have spiritual consequences. There are some physical things that you or I can engage with where what we are actually doing or where we are ending up is in a koinonia with something spiritual that is not of God. And if that is you this morning, if the Lord actually has his finger on your heart, either now or in a day this week where you go, actually, you know what? Here's something I've been doing and spiritually it has been knitting and threading and sewing me in to something spiritual that is not of God. Then hear Paul's words here. You cannot keep doing that. Okay? That's something that the Lord wants you to to come free from and to be unplugged and unstitched from that we cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. We cannot have a part or a share or a participation or an engagement in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. For, for some of us in this room who have either been or seen or encountered um, experiences where people deliberately seek out participating in things which are demonic, where people play with the dark, so to speak, where people muck around with with things that that might be spiritual in nature. 
the dilemma is this, is that Mateco leads to koinonia. Sharing in something leads to partnership in something. And often when, when people come under really severe spiritual attack or spiritual oppression, where people experience what would commonly be referred to as being possessed, where people have, um, have voices that continually accuse them, where people have a, a, a demonic presence which manifests in their house uh, or in part of their life. When these things go on, part of the journey praying with those people is actually that they have to confess before the Lord, here is the stuff that I started sharing in. Here is where I opened the door and I invited this stuff into my life and I gave it authority and, and here is where I was playing with the dark. Okay, Verse 22 makes sense in that context. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Why muck around with this stuff? So this is, again, this is Paul's first argument is to go, why, why would you even muck around with it? Why play with something that has such significant spiritual connotations to it? Are we stronger than the Lord? Are we stronger than he? Straight away, verse 23, Paul jumps into the immediate response that he assumes is going to come from people sitting in the Corinthian church. I have the right to do anything. You know what? I am under grace. The blood of Jesus Christ has covered my sin. I cannot outsin the blood of the cross. There is no way that that can happen. Therefore, I have the right to do anything. I am completely free. I recognize that none of these, none of these false gods are actually gods. There is only one God. And that means that everything is open slather now. Remember, we've talked about the Corinthian church before that what they brought in was some of their Greco-Roman philosophy and understanding. And part of that was what was called Platonistic dualism, where they said, you know what? I can connect from the physical world because, because the spiritual world is all that matters. And so this is how it affected some of their thinking around God, is to go, you know what, Christ has paid for my spiritual condition, therefore the physical doesn't really matter. I have the right to do anything. And they are half true. They are half correct. Paul here says, yeah, you have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. This is argument number two from Paul, to not eat meat offered to an idol. Is it actually good for you? Is it actually good for you? I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And then Paul says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Paul is trying to talk to the Corinthian church to say, it's not about you having access to everything you want to have access to. It's about whether it is good for you, whether it is beneficial, but also is it constructive to everyone else in the room? Is that our focus? I think I've shared this story before. That when I was younger, I remember chatting to my dad because all of my mates at school had started smoking and drinking. And I knew that when I was a really, really little kid, before the Lord got hold of my dad, that dad smoked and, and dad drank, but I grew up in a house where there was no smoking and no drinking. And I remember chatting to dad and I said, but dad, you know, what's, what's the deal? My mates are smoking and drinking. Why can't I do that? And, and I remember my dad saying, he said, son, you can drink anything you want. You can drink shampoo. You can drink motor oil. Um, what would you like to drink? He said, you can smoke anything you want. You can smoke old tires. You can smoke rope. Um, he said, but is it beneficial? Is it constructive? And he, he challenged me not to simply measure my actions against the law, what was legal and what was illegal, or even what was allowable under scriptural laws that I could find but to go, actually, there's something deeper in this 
for us to be thinking about. And it's actually, is it beneficial to me and is it constructive for everyone else? This is Paul's next point. So is it beneficial? Is it constructive? And out of that, then Paul gives a really simple, straightforward example, which we'll work through, then we'll deal with some conclusions, then we'll finish up this morning. Eat anything. Now that Paul has said, okay, here is strong argument number one, uh, meteco and koinonia, that engaging with something can lead to a spiritual partnership. And the second one is to go, what does it actually do for everyone else? Is it, is it constructive for them? Then Paul then says, okay, eat anything sold in the market without raising questions of conscience. It's to go, you know what? If it raises a question of conscience in someone else, then, then we've got to do something about it. That's where he's going. But he says, if it doesn't raise a question of conscience, yeah, eat anything. Eat anything that is, is on the shelf. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is before you without raising questions of conscience. That's Paul's modifying clause in here. But if someone says to you, uh, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience, the other person, the other person's conscience, there, verse 29, I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. And Paul here makes a really, really strong point. Is he says, you know what? Your conscience is right before God. So if you eat that, it's actually not your conscience which is going to come under judgment. Okay? Your freedom is not going to be judged on the basis of someone else's conscience. It's going to be based on the judge. Uh, it's going to be judged on the basis of your own conscience. He makes a point again in verse 30. If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? These are rhetorical questions, verse 29 and 30. The short answer is you are not. If in your heart, when you sit down and you thank God for a meal, if that meat has been offered to idols, but your conscience is clear, it's okay. You will not be denounced and you will not be judged. But if someone else's conscience suffers for it, then there's an issue. Okay? This is Paul's main point the whole way through chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10 is for us to be mindful of one another. It's a really, really simple point, and we miss it all the time. We're actually in this together. We are in this together. We are on this journey together. Okay? It's a narrow path, but that doesn't mean we travel alone. It means that there are people in your life who are going to be wrestling with this, even though because of the strength of your faith, and because of the maturity of your conscience, you can sit in that space and go, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I don't care what food has been offered to who. It, it is Christ's. It belongs to him and I belong to Christ. Of course I can eat this. But there are people in your life who are going to be wrestling with that. So let's have a look at some of these um, these two phrases in the green and then we'll look at some conclusions. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is how Paul summarizes keeping an eye on one another. This is how Paul summarizes us actually being mindful. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Paul is a Jew and he is speaking to a Greek Gentile church. 
Remember, previous to this, Paul has actually said that because he is not on any one church's payroll, he is free to be a Jew to the Jews and a Greek to the Greeks. To those who are under the law, he's as one who is under the law. That Paul, when he moves from one group to the next, is almost like a chameleon in his behavior. He changes shape and he changes the mode because the thing that he is mindful of is this. Verse 33. I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. The thing that is continually active in Paul's mind is the salvation of other people. And that's if, if I was going to ask us just to take one thing away from this morning, it would be this. In all that we say and in all that we do, have in mind the salvation of other people. When it comes to to engaging in something which which might you know kind of light a match in someone else's conscience, be mindful of that person's conscience and their salvation. And you know what? If if there's someone who's going to be really 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 cut up and offended because they haven't gone on that journey yet with their conscience around say meat offered to idols, which is Paul's example, then don't buy meat that's been offered to an idol and take it to their house for a fry up. That is not having in mind their salvation and their conscience. Argument number one that Paul puts forward, and this is something that I think there's some, some of us in the room this morning that we need to, to let this idea sit with us. Mateco lends itself towards koinonia. Participation lends itself towards partnership. There are, there are some things which we can end up participating in where it actually does something spiritual and we don't pick up on that. There is a, a phrase I know I've shared before, which they use in Papua New Guinea. There is no such thing as a condom for the soul. And I don't say that to be crass, but I say that because there are activities that are sexual in nature, whether it's pornography, there are even business relationships, which we can be involved in. There are um, sports, which we can be involved in. There are all sorts of things which we can be involved in that affect our soul. They actually affect our spiritual condition. And Paul here is saying, let us be mindful of this for the sake of ourselves. Even though where Paul arrives in the text we've looked at this morning is mindfulness about other people, this strong argument he puts forward about Mateco and Koinonia is about you yourself. Are you involved in something that is having a spiritual effect on you and is causing you to be unhealthily stitched and attached into something that actually does not adore and worship God. If that is going on for you, and if you have been unable to process a way out of that, you've got to bring it into the light. Find someone to confess to. Find someone who you can trust, who does confidentiality really well, and sit with that person and go, here is what I'm wrestling with. And even if it doesn't make sense to go, this doesn't sit right. Something is not right in this activity, and I'm concerned it's having a spiritual effect on me. And begin the process of, of journeying out of that and of leaving it behind. Paul's first point. Paul's second point. Uh, it, let's have a look uh, at the first point, just in two other strange things for a moment. So one of... One of the things which goes on in Christianity, which is worth having a look at just for a moment, is we need to have a look at the partnerships that we do engage in, both large and small. And this is one that, that comes up all the time, is if I am buying something from a shop, 
but that shop is actually exploiting people down the um, the supply chain, then I need in my own heart to know what does my conscience feel about my level of partnership with that. And it's easy it's easy to for that to become a real rabbit warren is to go, look, okay, if I'm buying chocolate from a company and I know that that company sources their cocoa where there is a high degree of slavery, what does my conscience feel about that? And some people will go, you know what, that's not even on my radar, uh, that's out of my hands, I have no control over that. Other people, their conscience is going to feel incredibly strongly. And this comes back to fashion. This comes back to to every single thing that we engage with and that we spend our money on. And it can become a rabbit warren where we have um, decision paralysis. And we go, you know what, I, 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 I don't know what to do. I can't do anything because no matter what I do, I'm going to end up in partnership with people who are exploitative and people who are sinful and people who ultimately don't want to honor God. It's easy to end up in that in that place. That's not what Paul is talking about in this passage of Scripture. This is something that we need to have a look at and we need to spend some time thinking about. But the passage of Scripture that Paul is talking about at the moment is something which is clearly spiritual and worship-oriented in nature. One other uh, the way that this turns up, um, which again, just because of the conversations that I end up having with people, is looking at the role of faith um, and the military. I have, I have articles about this turn up all the time, about Christians being involved as soldiers, let alone as chaplains. And you go, at what point are you, are you spiritually in partnership with something that opposes God? There is not a single country in the world which wholeheartedly pursues Christ. So at what point, as a person of faith, do you get involved with something that is worship-oriented, but maybe ultimately it does not worship Christ, it worships a nation or a government or a political ideology? And again, this is not specifically what Paul is writing about, but these are serious questions which we need to think through and to process. And you know what? Your conscience is probably going to land slightly different to the conscience of the person next to you. This is why it's important for us to be mindful of these things because someone inevitably is going to go, you know what, if you're a Christian and you're involved in warfare in any way, shape or form, that offends my conscience. How can you call yourself a follower of Christ? And there's going to be someone else that goes, you know what, if I'm a person of faith who believes that all people are loved, how can I stand on the sidelines when other people are being exploited and oppressed? And that's where their conscience lands. We, we need to be mindful of one another in this. Now, this is, again, these two examples uh, around chocolate and warfare are not specifically what Paul is writing about, but this idea of participation and partnership is a huge one for Christians. All right. Paul's second point is this. All because it's legal doesn't mean it's beneficial or constructive. And some of you in this room are involved with things that are completely legal, but they are not beneficial and they are not constructive. It is not illegal uh, for a person to have a crass conversation. It is not illegal for a person to tell a dirty joke. It is not illegal. um, Some of the financial practices uh, which go on in this world, there's a whole lot of things which fit into the bracket of legal, even if we take into consideration all all of the laws that we find in Scripture, but they're simply not beneficial or constructive. 
There are drugs in this world that it is completely legal to take, but they are not beneficial or constructive. There are practices um, and relationships that people can be in which are legal but are not beneficial or constructive, either to you as an individual or to the people around you. And again, this is that deeper level of, of considering ourselves and our hearts before the Lord, which Paul calls the Corinthian church to. And this is something that it's worth spending a little bit of time with. We seem to have so little time in the world these days. But if you find a, a space before you fall asleep or when you get up in the morning where you can just sit, ask the Lord this question, okay? Is there something which I have been involved in which may well be legal, but it's actually not beneficial or constructive? Would you show me, please? Jesus promised that when the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit would convict us of sin and righteousness. You go, Lord, is there something in the way I'm living my life which is not beneficial or constructive, but it hasn't turned up on my radar yet? We're going we're to finish and then we're going to pray. Paul ends on this point, really, to eat and drink all things for the glory of God and that he does this with the salvation of others and therefore their consciences in his mind. And I encourage you, let's just sit and, and right now we're going to pause. We're not going to jump into the next song. We're going to pause and just take 60 seconds to ask the Lord to prompt us about how we have been thinking of the salvation of others. Because the way you are an employee or an employer affects the conscience and the salvation of others. The things that we spend our money on, the way that we are when we are around our friends or around our family, the way that we are in the marketplace, the way that we are as customers, Paul says that this is his guiding factor for all of these things, all of his conduct. So right now we're just going to pause and let the Lord do something in our hearts about this. Lord God, we begin this morning in great thankfulness for this family, this family of faith. And Lord God, we ask that you would continue keeping us safe as a family from, from things that would break us apart. Lord, we also ask that you would continue refining us where there are things that we as individuals have been doing which, which will lead us into partnership with something that is not of you. Lord God, please make us aware and please help us to get free. Lord God, where we have been doing things because we are free to, but we have not been mindful of the effect that, that they've been having on us, how beneficial or constructive they are, Lord God, help our thinking to change and become deeper and richer. 
Help us to be more critical of the needs of others, how beneficial and constructive those things are. And Lord, we ask for this to become true of us, what Paul said was true of himself, that he has in mind the salvation of others, that that is like a a continuing theme that flows through everything in his life. And Lord, we ask that that would be a theme in our life as well, that it would soak into us and it would be present continually, that our lives would be permanently adjusted by the mindfulness of the salvation of others. Lord God, we want people to come into contact with you. We want people to meet you yourself, and we really don't want to get in the way of that. So, Lord God, please help us to be mindful of the salvation of others, of the state of their conscience. Help us to be mindful that we are on the narrow path as a group, that we are pursuing you and our consciences are going to be working things out at different paces. Help us to be mindful of one another. Lord God, we commit ourselves to you. We invite you to continue transforming us. Would you change our thinking? Would you renew our minds? Would you conform us to the likeness of Christ? Lord God, please help us to be your people wholeheartedly, earnestly, authentically your people. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.